crisp apple strudels, doorbells and sleigh bells and schnitzel with noodles, wild geese that fly with the moon on their wings. Welcome to What She Said on 105.9 The Region. I'm your host, Candace Sampson. Did I say things were looking hopeful in last week's opening? Well, hello, Omicron. No one remembers inviting you to this party, but it looks like you may be sticking around for a while. What does that mean for the rest of us? Well, certainly a renewed vigilance when it comes to protecting ourselves and loved ones. It will also no doubt cause hand-wringing when it comes to vaccines, with the Moderna CEO saying he expects that current vaccines will struggle with this variant. Vaccines are the topic of my first interview. Few issues in our society are more divisive right now than vaccinations, and sadly, things may only get worse now that vaccines have been approved for children. Catherine Carruthers is a double-vaxxed mom in Calgary who, along with her husband, will soon face the decision to vaccinate her children. She is also the founder of Families for Choice, a group comprised of vaccinated and unvaccinated families that are united on one goal. They are against vaccine mandates for children. Catherine joins me to share the reason behind her forming this group. It's time to change out of our regular everyday stress and slip into our glittery holiday stress. With the holiday season in full swing, adding to our everyday stressors as well as our pandemic stress, it's a good time for our latest interview on, you guessed it, stress. This week, we are joined by Dr. Juliana Rosario-Young, who joins me to discuss ways to manage the stressful environment that we find ourselves in now so that it doesn't wreak havoc on our bodies later. Big thanks to New Roots Herbal for helping to keep our health top of mind in their ongoing series with what she said. Anne Brody has Entertainment for Days, which includes Paolo Sorrentino's epic family saga, Hand of God, set in his hometown of Naples. Flea, the excellent and profound animated story of Amin, an Afghani refugee who escaped his homeland when the Mujahideen murdered his family. And HBO's original four-episode limited series, Landscapers, starring Emmy winner Olivia Colman and David Thewlis in a fascinating surrealist journey based on a true story. On RBC She's the Boss this week, I speak with Joella Hogan from Yukon Soap Company. Joella joins me today to share how when you support her business, you are supporting her mission to empower and nurture an Indigenous community in the Yukon in Canada's north. Finally, if there is one thing we know for sure, it's that science and medicine are always evolving. Unfortunately, policy doesn't always keep up at the same speed. Dr. Paula Gordon, one of the world's leading and most highly respected experts and advocates for breast cancer screening, is joining me to share some important new information about a decades-old Canadian study that formed the basis for mammography recommendations for women in their 40s around the world. It's another full week at What She Said with interviews that empower, educate, and entertain. So let's jump in right now on 105.9 The Region. Few 
issues in our society are more divisive right now than vaccinations, and sadly, things may only get worse now that vaccines have been approved for children. Catherine Carruthers is a double-vaxxed mom in Calgary who, along with her husband, will soon face the decision to vaccinate her children. She is the founder of Families for Choice, a group comprised of vaccinated and unvaccinated families that are united on one goal. They are against vaccine mandates for children. She joins me now to discuss. Welcome to the show, Catherine. Thank you very much for having me, Candice. Why are you against mandates? When, I mean, and all of, I, I'm just from people listening are going to say, well, we do have mandates in place for a lot of other vaccines in order for kids to go to school or, or participate in certain events. So why this one? Well, so just to, just to clarify, our group is, we're, we're pro-choice. So we really believe that families should have the right to choose whether and when to vaccinate their children for COVID-19. Um, and we are against vaccine mandates specifically for children for COVID-19. So our group has a single mission, which is COVID-19 vac- um, vaccine mandates for children. Um, we don't get into any of the other sort of um, vaccinations or anything like that. Okay. So and what is the age you're, you're looking at here uh, for these not to be, so for, for, sorry, for mandates not to be enforced against? All children, so everyone from newborn up to 17, so well, depending on jurisdiction, but minors. So anyone who's considered a minor um, in the law, we would, um, we're seeing absolutely devastating impacts of the COVID-19 vaccine mandates that have already come in for the 12 to 17 year olds. Um, We're hearing a lot of those stories from our membership. And so we're working really hard to try and prevent those mandates being extended to the 5 to 11s now that the vaccine is available for them. And we're working to overturn the COVID-19 vaccine mandates for the 12 to 17-year-old group as well. And do you have a lot of parents who, like yourself, are double vaccinated but are now concerned about vaccinating their children? And what what is the biggest concern that you're hearing from people? It's a really good question. So yes, we do have, we have grown from a handful of moms in a living room a month ago to over 10,000 people across Canada. So yes, um, we have a lot of families who are vaccinated and they were, the, the parents were happy to take it for themselves, um, but they feel that for their children, a lot of them just want more time. They want to be able to take their time to choose um, if this is something that they want to do, uh, in particular for the young kids, um, people have concerns about the, well, first of all, we only have one option. We only have Pfizer yeah. right now. So some people would like to be able to um, wait for one or more options to become available. Um, and then other people are concerned um, about things like the, the, the trial, the, the Pfizer trial was small. And there really literally is no long-term data because the science, of course, is evolving. Um, and, and, one, and one other point that we, we know so much more now than we did a year ago about COVID and the vaccines. So um, one thing that we do know now is that the vaccines are, are more effective at reducing severity of illness and likelihood of hospitalization um, or indeed death than they are um, at reducing transmission. So I, speaking to you as a vaccinated person, I know that I can catch and transmit COVID. Um, And so with all of those things in mind, and especially given the very low risk that COVID 
poses to healthy children. Um, parents are quite rightly asking for choice um, to decide whether this is something that they want to do or not. There's so many, so many factors that are influencing this decision, Candice. And how quickly has your membership grown since you started this? Well, we started with probably six to eight mums in a six um, mums in a living room a month ago in Calgary. Our next meeting, I think we had perhaps 40 people via Zoom. Our next one, we had over 600. And so we've gone from a handful of people to over 10,000 people across our social media platforms um, and all our on our mailing list. We also have 12,000 people who have already signed our letter, which we're going to be sending everywhere this week, petitioning against COVID-19 vaccine mandates for kids. So we've really gone from pretty much zero to 20,000 um, across Canada in a month. And I'm curious because this is such a a divisive issue. Are you finding you have to moderate between sort of people who are pro-vaccine and anti-vaccine within your own group that, that is coming up now? Or is everybody just on the same page and you're trying to keep everybody on point for that one uh, issue, which is the mandates? Yes, actually, that's such a good question. We're getting feedback from people in our group to say that they're surprised at how courteous people are um, actually, especially in our Facebook group, because of course, with, with something like this, vaccination in general is so divisive, as is COVID. And our message is one of unity. If there's one thing that we can really unite behind, it's that's that sacred relationship between parent and child, I think. Um, and so we are trying to respect each other's views. Um, and so we do go in and, and, and we moderate where we can, but we also really try to lead by example. So um, I'm one of co five co-founders in the group and we very much try to, to make sure that the, the message is always pro-choice. Um, and so when we need to add that in um, online, then we do that. Um, but for the most part, people are very respectful and they, they can, if there's one thing people can rally behind, it's, it's, it's pro-choice. Um, and, and people do have concerns about the vaccine mandates for children. Um, and so we're trying to work together as closely as we can, even if we have some differing views behind the scenes. Okay. Well, I admire that you are able to walk this very fine line between two groups and, and pull together people with a common goal. Um, if people want to find out more, would like to connect with you, uh, join the conversation, where can they go? Please visit our website, familiesforchoice.ca, and there you will find everything that you can do. You'll see the links to our social media groups. Uh, you can sign our letter. Um, so please join us, familiesforchoice.ca. All right. Thank you for joining me today, Catherine. Thanks, Candice. Stick around. More What She Said with Candace Sampson coming up on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 105.9 The Region. It's that time of year when we change out of our regular everyday stress into our fancy glittery holiday stress. As part of our ongoing series with New Roots Herbal today, we're tackling some ways to keep your stress in check over the next month. 
with Dr. Juliana Rosario Young. A naturopathic doctor, Juliana discovered naturopathic medicine at McGill University, where she learned that how humans treat their environment will eventually lead to the same consequences upon ourselves. She joins me now to discuss managing the stressful environment that we find ourselves in now so that it doesn't wreak havoc on our bodies later. Welcome to the show, Juliana. Thank you, Candice. Thank you for having me. I think we have to acknowledge that right now, December is going to be a super stressful month. We're, we're dealing with everyday stress in the middle of a pandemic, and it's the holidays. So what are some ways we can manage the environment around us a little bit better so that it doesn't hurt our bodies? I think one of the first thing I always think about is the obvious things that people know, but kind of looking at it in a different way. So exercise, everyone knows exercise is great for you, for stress, for physical health, other conditions. But what I always like to tell people is don't look at exercise like exercise. When we tell them that, they think it's a task. It's something they need to check off their list. Oh, I need to do 30 minutes. I need to have my heartbeat at um, X beats per minute, you know? So what I always suggest is actually to do exercise, but think about it as movement, enjoyment and movement. So it's something that you like to do and um, that gets you moving physically. It doesn't need to necessarily be uh, something that gets your heartbeat or your, your uh, breath out of breath. But the important thing is if you enjoy doing something that makes you move, I think those benefits will be much more than feeling like it's a task that you have to finish. I love that. I love that you said that because, you know, it reminds me of my mother who is not a big exerciser necessarily, but she always says, I get my exercise clean in this house. And she cleans like a speed demon through her house. She moves like crazy uh, getting it done. And that is her movement. I got to tell you, the woman is super healthy. So (laughs) I mean, whatever movement is movement, right? Exactly. Okay. So tell me then about when it comes to, one of the things you mentioned is our perception of stress. Tell me what you, what you mean by that. So uh, stress is a very uh, general word that's always thrown around every day, especially in our modern society. Uh, But what I want to kind of differentiate is that there are stressors and the stress itself. What are stressors? Stressors are the external things that you, us, we cannot control. They Uh, come to us and stress is the actual reaction uh, that is normal that our body was made to uh, feel and to behave in a certain way and that is what actually stress is so in other words you can actually control stress but not the stressors okay so we are controlling stress that comes through in a variety of ways. So we've discussed movement. What about sleep? And more importantly, what about when you struggle to sleep because of the stress? So a lot of um, stress in our modern day is all up in here, right? All up in here. I'm uh, I'm pointing to uh, my head for people who are listening um, because it's a lot of mental and emotional. Um, Our body was adapted to uh, withstand stress, but evolutionarily, it was more physical stress that it it was adapted to do. 
now because it's always in the mind. It follows us everywhere, even when we go to sleep. So one of the things that I like to um, introduce to people, because not everyone know about this, is sleep hygiene. So what's, what is sleep hygiene? People know hygiene is, you know, keeping yourself clean. Um, sleep hygiene is basically creating an environment all around you uh, in every angle possible uh, that contributes to better sleep. So one of the popular uh, recommendations that I do that, you know, people try to do also is uh, no screens half an hour to one hour before bedtime or before um, any resting time, I would say. It's not necessarily easy though. So don't fall asleep to TikToks is what you're saying. Yes, that's a good start. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Is there anything we can take to help sort of relax us so that we can fall into sleep easier? Yeah. So within that half an hour to that one hour of no screen time, a lot of people have a uh, a hard time finding something to do. And I always like to um, uh, suggest a ritual, be it uh, doing something you enjoy that is relaxing um, and adding on something that actually physically helps you. Uh, so there's supplements out there. There are herbal uh, medicine out there. Um, the few that come to mind, I would say, is melatonin. So that's one supplement that uh, people can try to use. And also um, on the herbal medicine side, chamomile and passion flower. So those are two herbs that are very calming, um, that go well together. And um, it's nice to have a little routine where you make a chamomile and passion flower tea right before bed. Okay, that sounds perfect, actually. So tell me about adaptogens, because you mentioned this sort of in our pre-interview, and I'm really curious about these. What are they? And, and you know, where would we find them? Okay. So adaptogen is basically a category of herbs in uh, uh, herbal medicine that we use. It's a word that we uh, use to categorize them. And what they are is um, a type of herb that is used for the body to withstand periods of stress. So it's not necessarily a relaxant. It's not necessarily a stimulant. But when a person takes it, it will be used in the way that the person needs it. So a lot of times when people go into periods of stress, like right now, or exams or big projects coming up, I always suggest, oh, maybe it's a good time to introduce an adaptation for that period of time so that your body is stronger to withstand that stress that you know is coming. Okay, so it's sort of just prepping pre-game. Uh, yeah. So tell me what are some adaptogens that we can look for? Um, two that come to mind uh, the most quickly and uh, from experience that people really like is uh, rhodiola and ashwagandha. Just to make the difference, I would say um, ashwagandha is more on the gentler side and rhodiola is more on the uh, stimulant side, I would say. I, I can hear literally the women listening to the show right now saying, sign me up for the rhodiola. <laughs> Yeah, right. sure. <laughs> so where can people connect with you then uh, if they want to find you and more, more about you? Oh, the most easy way is on social media. I have Facebook, I have Instagram, and I'm under Mama J Natural. 
Okay. And for people looking for all of these ingredients uh, and supplements, uh, they can go to a natural health food store. And of course, you can go to newrootsherbal.com. They have all of their products listed there and you can find out more and read about it there. Thank you so much for joining me today, uh, Dr. Juliana. This was delightful. Thank you, Candice. Give me sweet talk on pillows and snowy white sheets, mistletoe kisses in summer, that butterfly feeling like it's Christmas Eve. Joining me now for Saturday Night at the Movies is Anne Brody. And what a week, Anne. I cannot believe what you sent me this week. So let's jump right into it. Yes. Well, Hand of God from Italian filmmaker Paolo Sorrentino is absolutely incredible. It's, it's mesmerizing. It's about an extended Italian family um, uh, focused on the teenage son and his, uh, you know, his growing pains. Um, very peculiar sort of, uh, there's a little monk, for instance, who can touch women and make them fertile. So there's that. Uh, the his parents have had a loving relationship for like 30 years and suddenly it's been revealed that he's had a mistress for 20. So all these secrets are coming out. But the thing that really uh, wowed me is the cinematography. And I mean, it sounds boring, but the opening sequence, which is quite long, is a drone shot coming into Naples from the sky and then going out to sea. And when it's in when it's in Naples or approaching Naples, you can hear the buzz of human activity. And then you get out on the ocean and up in the mountains and you can't hear a thing. It is so sensitively made um, and so worth seeing. Just an absolute delight. And where is that available? Uh, theaters. And I was really taken with Flea. Well, that's a that's you got good taste, kiddo. Because this is one of the most remarkable animated films I've ever seen. It's a documentary uh, animated to protect the identity of uh, Amin, who is um, a refugee from the Middle East. And we go through his arduous, horrible journey by foot with his family through the frozen north. They don't have shoes. Some of them don't have socks. I mean, it's just incredible what refugees can endure these days. So also, so they tried to get into Russia, really abused by the system there because it, it's a racist system. Um, and ultimately, he, uh, I mean, lands in um, Denmark. On top of all of this, he's gay. In Denmark, he's accepted. And the family manages to settle. But his story is so beautifully told. It's enchanting and scary and a real eye-opener. Um, you know, your heart just moves for all these refugees. He, was, he became educated at Princeton. He's now an academic. He's getting married to his lover. You know, it, it was a good outcome, but so many outcomes aren't good. But Flea is, I'm sure you will see this at award season. Okay. Tell me about Encounter. All right. Riz. Ahmed, who you might know, is a fabulous actor. He produced Flea that we were just speaking about. Now, he stars in Encounter. He plays um, a man who's uh, an American who just gets home from his 10th tour of duty in the military. So he goes to his estranged wife's place, takes the kids for a ride, and kidnaps him. He knows 
that there is an alien threat coming and that there is a virus sweeping the world. So he's taken them to safety. And little by little, over time, we realize that nothing like that is happening. Uh, he's, he's deranged and he holds the children hostage. Um, and you can see it all from his point of view, his, his mad point of view. Uh, it's disturbing. It's beautifully executed. I can't believe those little kids are so good in the film. And Riz, of course, is one of my favorite actors. Um, so, you know, it's well worth seeing. It's disturbing. But Octavia Spencer's in it. She plays his parole officer. So, you know, well worth tuning in for that. And that is on Prime Video. Okay. We don't have a lot of time left, but I really want to talk about landscapers because I have to tell you, that took a dark turn. Oh, yes. Well, we have this lovely British couple living in Paris, David Thewlis and Olivia Coleman, who's everywhere now. Um, and we spend some time with them. We learn they have no money. They have no skills. He can't get a job. They're at their wits end. Turns out they are being hunted by the British police because two bodies have been dug up from their backyard in Nottingham. So the, this, that's a great story, true story, but it's also set up like a series of theater pieces. Rather astounding to look at. It's bizarre. It's surreal. And highly entertaining, very unusual, um, horrifying at parts, uh, wonderful at parts. And Olivia Coleman, there's nothing that woman can't do. So this is a must-see on Crave. All right. I just quickly, before we wrap up, let's give so let's give a shout out to Single All the Way. Firstly, because the incredible Jennifer Coolidge is in it, and I just absolutely worship her. She's oh. incredible. <laughs> but our yes, former and she's host, nutty. <laughs> our former host of the show, uh, Kate Wheeler, her daughter is in this as well. So single all the way on Netflix, right? Alex Beaton. Doubt out. Yep. Yep. Okay. And that's yes, all. And it's a fun story. It's now these few moments. And it's on, on now, uh, right? Netflix. All right. So yes. make sure you catch that. It actually does look like a really fun, lighthearted movie for the holidays. So I'm looking forward to that one as well. And thanks for joining me. You have all of these and more up on what she said talk.com. And we'll see you next week. See you next week, Candace. More with Candace Sampson and what she said coming up on 1059 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 1059 The Region. When Joella Hogan moved to Mayo, Yukon to live on the territory of her ancestors, she envisioned reconnecting with her community, elders, land, and language. Happily, she has been able to do all of that through the Yukon Soaps Company by using local plants in her formulations, employing local youth, using nacho nyakdan beadwork and plant knowledge, and by sprinkling in northern Tushoni language wherever she can. As part of RBC's ongoing She's the Boss series, Joella joins me today to share how when you support her business, you are supporting her mission to empower and nurture an Indigenous community in the Yukon in Canada's north. Welcome to the show, Joella. Thank you so much. 
I could not imagine the hurdles you must be dealing with right now, having a business in the Yukon. Tell me what are some of the struggles that you're having right now? Absolutely. Well, I mean, even even pre-COVID, pre-floods and road washouts, um, distance um, and cost. And we really don't have a lot of options when it comes to mail provider and shipping out. And so I have to import all of the raw ingredients that I can't harvest myself up here, create that into beautiful products and then ship it back out. And so sometimes people don't realize like why it takes so long to get their products that they order, but also the costs, right? And so I am always like so grateful when people buy my stuff because they're buying the product, but they're also paying that huge shipping cost. And so that is always, always a barrier. So I feel like I have to do a lot of work um, around that. Okay. So tell me that, because you're more than just a business because I follow you on social media and I've learned a lot um, not just about soaps. So tell me about that aspect of it because you're also there to educate. Yeah. And I didn't really realize that storytelling would be such a big part of my business that when I bought the business, it was purely meant as a sign hustle, creating soap, you know, making sure Northerners had access to good natural products. Um, that was my main goal. But I quickly learned that by kind of wrapping the products um, with the cultural values and teaching that I was learning by living in my grandmother's community, that people were also interested in that. And so I invite people to, you know, come on this journey of me learning my culture, language, and heritage, and to learn about Canada's Indigenous people in the North. And so, and I have learned so much too, and try and share like the very hard and real parts of language reclamation um, and and the struggles of the North, but also I really try and share like the beautiful moments and the resilience of our people and, you know, the incredible opportunities and learning moments that I'm able to have and try and connect it back to, you know, whether it's small business, community living, um, all of these different things, because I realized like there's soap all over the place and what people want to know about me is all of that. What is my life like up here and, and how, and how do I, how do I do it? And so how many people do you employ now? So right now I have seven part-time employees and aging in range, skill level, interest. And so it's really what I try to do is match people's like kind of personal and professional goals with kind of the jobs and tasks that I have. Like, absolutely, I have so much to do, but um like there's so much work that always needs to be done, but I really try and build on people's stripes so that they can become their best self. And I don't ever anticipate that everyone will be with uh, the Yukon Soaps Company forever, although that would be great. I really see helping people use the Yukon Soaps Company as a step to a bigger career goal. What's next for Yukon Soap Company? Well, I am currently building um, a bigger production space in my community because as of now, it's still all in my basement, but building um, a bigger production facility with three housing units because there's, you know, we need housing in, in our community. That's a serious like emergency need. Um, so it's all about like social impact. Um, and then also beginning talks about exporting um, to the European market because they're also 
you know, a really strong interest in Canada's North and similar values in terms of skincare and connection to the land of the North. So yeah, it's those two big things are on the horizon and obviously just continuing to, to make soap because demand exceeds supply here in Canada even. The holidays are not far off. Um, is it too late to order or can, can people order now? Yeah, absolutely. You can order. I think, um, you know, we're starting to take a risk, I guess, on whether Canada Post will get it to you, right? That we're seeing more and more delays there. And so the sooner the better. And also I anticipate selling out of a lot of stuff in the next few weeks. Um, and so absolutely get orders in. There are still products on my website. Absolutely. Um, but get them there soon. All right. So I want people to be able to find you then and go in order like right now, as soon as they're done. So where do they where do they go? Yeah. So they can go to yukonsoaps.com or and check me out on Instagram at the Yukon Soaps Company or know that just at Yukon Soaps Company for Instagram. Okay. Thank you to Joella Hogan from the Yukon Soaps Company for joining me today. And thank you to our sponsor, RBC. RBC is here to support you through digital first solutions, advice, and services that go beyond banking to help realize your true potential because owning a small business takes something special. That's why RBC is behind you every step of the way. Visit rbc.com backslash businesses. Science and medicine are always evolving. Unfortunately, policy doesn't always keep up at the same rate of speed. Dr. Paula Gordon, one of the world's leading and most highly respected experts and advocates for breast cancer screening, is joining me today to share some important new information about a decades-old Canadian study that formed the basis for mammography recommendations for women in their 40s around the world. Welcome back to what she said, Dr. Gordon. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. Why was this study, well, first, actually, when did this study happen and why was it flawed? It happened in the 1980s. Women were invited to participate uh, in this randomized control trial or allegedly randomized. Uh, and they started doing the mammograms in 1980 through 1985. And they followed the women in the study group for many years afterwards. Uh, their most recent report on the study was actually in um Oh, gosh, I think it's 2014 now. It was the 25-year follow-up. And um, there, the study had problems from the start, but the people running the study, which was funded, by the way, by the Canadian Cancer Society, but the people running the study weren't radiologists. They weren't cancer specialists. They were epidemiologists at the University of Toronto. They did have some input from expert radiologists, but on how to do the best quality mammograms and so on. Uh, much of which they ignored. But what came out last week that got so many headlines is um, a paper that was published by uh, colleagues and myself in the Journal of Medical Screening, which exposed the fact that we now had eyewitness reports of the randomization process in the trial being tampered with. Now, a randomized trial, most people know now, it's a way to test either a procedure like mammography, or sometimes it's used to test new drugs. 
and there's a control group and a study group. In this case, the study group was women 40 to 49 who had mammograms every year for five years. And the control group uh, was women who weren't supposed to have mammograms. And when you do a study, you have to make sure that there is nothing known about the women that would prejudice which group they're put into. They're supposed to put be put into a group blindly. And the procedure that started out mucking up the whole thing was that uh, every woman who volunteered to be in the trial had a breast examination by a nurse. And then she was assigned to either the mammogram group or the study group. Now, the results of that breast physical examination were not supposed to be known to the people who were assigning women to the group. But we now we knew then, we could tell from the statistics it was imbalanced. There were too many women showing up in the mammogram group with advanced breast cancers that there must have been some tampering. And we now know that, and it was probably unintentional, but when a woman had a breast exam that showed a lump in her breast, or even worse, multiple lumps in her armpit, that would be suggestive of a breast cancer that's actually already spread, that those women in some cases were preferentially put into the mammogram group going around the randomization process. Because, and well, you know, you think of being a nurse working in the center, you've just done a breast exam on a lady and you find what is suspicious for an advanced breast cancer, you can understand that they would want to make sure that she gets care and there was a way for them to subvert the randomization and make sure that lady got a mammogram. And what happened was because of that, there were more women in the mammogram group who had breast cancer than in the control group. If it had been done properly, they would have been equal numbers. But if there are more women with cancer in the mammogram group, not surprising that more women would die of breast cancer in the mammogram group. And if you didn't suspect the problem with the randomization, what that would tell you at the end of the study is not only do mammograms not save lives, which is what they concluded, but in fact, women were, were, were more likely to die if they had a mammogram. Knowing all of this now then, should that study be redone? Oh, it, it couldn't possibly be. It couldn't possibly be redone now because we're so much smarter in general. First of all, you need to know this was not the only study in the world done like that. There were six others. The Canadian trials were outliers. They were the only ones that didn't show that women were less likely to die if they had a mammogram. They've always been the only ones. And so with what we know now, it would be unethical to assign a woman to a group where she wasn't going to have a mammogram. A woman would be crazy to volunteer and sign a consent to possibly be randomized into a control group where she wasn't going to have a mammogram. So we, the, the experts suspected from the get-go, from their very first publication in 1992, when there were so many more women with cancers, advanced cancers, in the mammogram group, it was suggested, wait a minute, there's got to be something funny with this randomization. And people looked at the process and they saw women shouldn't be having a breast exam before they're assigned to either the control or the mammogram group. And in, in fact, an investigation, a forensic investigation was finally arranged in 1997, but the auditors doing that examination, first of all, they only went to three out of the 15 centers doing the study. There were 15 centers across Canada. The auditors only went to three of them. 
Second of all, in spite of them being asked, one of, uh, in spite of them being asked to please make sure they talk to the staff, make sure they're protected against consequences so they can be honest, but talk to the staff. They're the only ones who can really indicate whether this tampering occurred. And the investigators, the auditors were not permitted to talk to the staff. Their paper that they published, the auditors, they published a paper saying, there are lots of ways that randomization could be tampered with, but we couldn't find any uh, direct evidence of it having happened. And that's because the only way you could find evidence was by talking to the staff. Knowing all of this then now, what are what should we conclude from this this new uh, evidence that you have forward? So the guidelines for screening come from an organization called the Canadian Task Force on Preventive Health Care. They are generalists who are not experts in breast cancer, but they came up with the breast cancer guidelines. They came up with prostate cancer screening guidelines, depression screening, and so on and so on. And those people who didn't have any experts on the panel about breast cancer used that Canadian study to come to the conclusions which they came to, which were that women shouldn't have screening until they're age 50. That task force should now re-examine all the available data and exclude that Canadian trial. Those, that trial is fatally flawed. It shouldn't be used to make policy. Now, they have been asked. They, you know, they, other journalists have asked them, now that this evidence has come forward that from former staff that the randomization was tampered with, will you revisit those guidelines? And they said, no, we think our guidelines are great. We used all the available good evidence at the time. And so they need a little bit, of, uh, they need a push. That organization, the Canadian Task Force, is funded by the Public Health Agency of Canada. The money comes from the Federal Minister of Health, but they take no responsibility for the guidelines. So their the funding agency has to push the Canadian Task Force to revisit the guidelines in light of this new evidence. And in the meantime, women do have to advocate for themselves, correct? 100%. So there are some provinces that allow women to have screening mammography starting at 40. In the provinces that don't, a woman is supposed to be able to go to her family doctor and ask for a requisition for a mammogram. And the doctor is supposed to have a conversation with her about the pros and cons of doing a mammogram. But at the end of the day, it's supposed to be the woman's decision. Unfortunately, there are women who are refused by their family doctors. They're not given requisitions. And we see women in those provinces where they don't screen until 50. We see women in their 40s showing up with advanced breast cancers. And unfortunately, some of them are, are dying. And it's estimated. We all know about modeling now from COVID, right? They est it's been estimated with, uh, with reliable modeling that if you don't screen until age 50, there could be an additional 700 unnecessary deaths every year in Canada. We have to end it there. Unfortunately, we're out of time. But if people want to find out more, uh, where can they go? Um, well, they can follow me on Twitter. That all, all kinds of stuff that I put on Twitter. But densebreastscanada.ca is a good place to go because not only are they working on dense breasts, they're working on trying to get screening starting at 40 across Canada. All right. Dr. Gordon, it's always a pleasure to have you here. Thank you. Thanks, Candice. That's it for What She Said for this week. Stay up to date with our newsletter by signing up at whatshesaidtalk.com. 
And be sure to follow on social at What She Said Talk on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for videos of these interviews and more. Finally, be sure to subscribe to What She Said with Candace Sampson on Apple and Spotify to re-listen to this episode and find full details for all of today's guests. I'll be back next week with more What She Said on 105.9 The Region. Previous episodes of What She Said on 1059theregion.com.